Listener Production. So if you want to make the big bucks, where do you go? Well, in this app, we look at the enormous opportunities in tech and why we might be missing out on them. We really need to boost the awareness about the opportunities that exist in this space because we're really confident that people will want to work in the industry because the jobs are so good. As we hit day two of Albanese's Jobs and Skills Summit, we're finding out about the epic opportunities in the tech sector and what needs to change so that Aussies, like you, can cash in. A new modern digital apprenticeship. We think that vocational education and training can play a really large role in generating tech talent. First, here are the headlines with Antoinette Latouf. It is Friday, the 2nd of September. Migration is set to be top of the agenda of the Job and Skills Summit in Canberra today, with union groups agreeing to one of the main employer demands. That's increasing the permanent migration cap by 40,000, taking it up to 200,000 a year. Yeah, that's something our guests from the Tech Council will talk about more in our briefing later in this episode. Other news out of day one at the summit, the Prime Minister kicked it off with an announcement of 180,000 free TAFE positions next year. We want to see more Australians gaining the skills they need to find good jobs in areas of national priority. So unions and the Business Council of Australia released a set of shared proposals and one of those includes increasing paid parental leave to 26 weeks and the government says they will legislate to allow multiple employer bargaining and that's a demand from the unions. So this means rather than negotiating separate payments with individual employers, unions can negotiate with multiple employers at once business groups don't like this. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, the other point that was made um, was that women are still a massive untapped resource in our economy. I can't help reflect that if untapped women's workforce participation was a massive iron ore deposit, we would have governments falling over themselves to give subsidies to get it out of the ground. That was the CEO of the Grattan Institute, Danielle Wood, there. Um, and Tom, since the pandemic, the gender pay gap has actually increased. It's it's a small amount, but it's increased by 0.3%. That's up to 14.1% now. And another impact of the pandemic showed that we, like female labour force participation um, actually dropped because of lockdowns. Mm. Yeah, well, people had to homeschool their children, didn't mm. they? And that really upset the apple cart there and the progress on on, I guess, getting more women into the workforce. And clearly, the childcare shortage is a massive issue. They are working mm. on it, but it's taking a long time to get people into that sector. Yeah, and they've they've ruled out, the government, well, the federal government's ruled out bringing forward those childcare reforms um, or funding that um, requested six months paid parental leave. And our relations with France look to be improving. Uh, the French President Emmanuel Macron is set to visit Australia later this year following the November G20 summit in Indonesia. We are really committed to putting the relationship with France in a place that it should be, right at the top tier. Defence Minister Richard Miles there. And he's in France now and has agreed to boost military exercises, hold joint regional deployments and improve intelligence sharing with the country. So relations with the country were chilly after the Morrison government scrapped a $90 billion submarine contract in favour of the AUKUS agreement. That's the defence agreement with the US and the UK. Yeah, and that's when uh, Emmanuel Macron said that uh, Scott Morrison had lied to him. So, yeah, we're on the comeback trail. It'd be great to see the French president here in Australia. 
Um, I guess when you just change the prime minister, it makes it kind of easy to mop things up, does it? You can just blame the old guy. That's uh, right. It's it's hard to hold a grudge against a guy that's not in power anymore. Uh, it's also likely the new UK prime minister will visit Australia following the G20 summit too, although we won't know who will replace Boris Johnson until next Tuesday. Yeah, that will be a very interesting one to watch next week. COVID rules are relaxing even further. Victorians are no longer being asked to work from home, while Queensland is lifting some vaccination mandates, saying a new stage of the pandemic has been reached. Yeah, private healthcare workers in that state will no longer need to be vaccinated. Um, Those decisions will now be up to individual employers. And this comes after the National Cabinet decision on Wednesday to reduce the COVID isolation period from seven to five days. So slowly getting back to... Something like normal again after the winter wave. Yeah, and you won't need to wear a mask on domestic flights as well. Yep. Um, but I know that makes the uh, around half a million severely um, immunocompromised Aussies really uncomfortable um, because, you know, their argument is that their world has to shrink more. They can't be comfortable sitting on a plane. And it'll be interesting to see with uh, another wave expected in November if some of those rules will be brought back in. And the former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull um, has had a pretty ugly moment at Sydney University yesterday. He was confronted by a bunch of students. One of them had a megaphone, um, which he used to yell at Malcolm Turnbull. He was appearing at the Sydney Uni Law Society alumni speaker event, uh, and he was blasted for trying to bring in $100,000 university degrees in action on climate change and Australia's involvement in wars. It was all captured on camera. It was a crazy, ridiculous scene. Um, He stood there looking stunned, tried to sort of um, mount a few witty comebacks in classic Turnbull style, but was eventually overpowered and had to leave. Yep. The live event was cancelled. It was moved to an online presentation. Turnbull later called the protesters fascist bullies uh, and security removed about 20 students. Um, Police are now involved and investigating. And Serena Williams' grand farewell at the US Open is not over yet. She beat the number two seed... Annette Conteve yesterday in three sets, which is just epic because Serena's currently ranked 413 in the world. I mean, I'm just Serena, you know, so... <laughs> that was an answer to a question of whether she ever doubted herself. Yeah, now in round three, she's up against Australian Isla Tomjanovic. No pressure, Isla. <laughs> you kind of screwed either way with that one. Um, if you lose, it's a shame, but if you win, win it's, it's also a shame. A shame. Um, <laughs> Anyway, she's a professional. She'll she'll do amazing on the court, no doubt, and the whole world will be watching, which will be amazing. Nick Kyrgios made some news yesterday by winning, mostly, um, progressing to the third round after beating a Frenchman, Benjamin Bonzi, in four sets. Um, it wasn't easy. Kyrgios said he was hanging by a thread. There's also some great on-court drama, as you would expect, um, apart from berating his box, telling them to go home if they weren't going to actually support him properly. He also said he could smell weed on the court. It's not even the kitchen, it's marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if you're not that interested in tennis, you tune in when he's on the court, just for some of these antics. So he's up against US wildcard JJ Wolf in the third round tomorrow. All right, Antoinette, we'll catch you again soon. Rana Patrick is about to join me as we talk about the big opportunities in the tech sector. 
So, round to Patrick, I think we've been doing it all wrong. The big money is not, well, definitely not in the media, except for a few lucky people. It's also not in mining or banking, but tech, according to our guest. Um, he says it's the highest paid industry in Australia. Wouldn't have picked it. <laughs> um, there's hundreds of thousands of job opportunities on the way too, and they're not going to be filled unless something changes here in Australia. There's a survey from Talent, which is a recruitment agency that found that some tech workers have been offered an extra 100000 just to stay in their job because not enough Australians are ready to step up into these roles. Yeah, and that's, I guess, one of the problems on the table at the PM's Jobs and Skills Summit, which is happening in Canberra, and today is day two of two. And around 140 people from unions, big employers, community, industry groups, and of course, politicians are meeting to try and solve the skills and worker shortage and stagnating wages. Yeah, not everyone's that optimistic about what this summit will achieve. You know, a lot of people call these things talk fests. Peter Dutton's not sending anyone from the opposition. And um, I'm going to read you some of yesterday's scathing column in the AFR from Joe Aston. This guy's renowned for this kind of acerbic tank. Enjoy this. The participants are already delirious with self-satisfaction at their momentary relevance to the political agenda. A menagerie of government welfare recipients, the vast majority plucked from the grey secretariats of interest groups. And what an inspired roll call for a job summit. We've got Rio Tinto's Australian head, Kelly Parker, sharing her expertise in automating Pilbara operations, replacing her workforce with robots. And there'll be no Mike Cannon-Brooks. The absence of Double Bay Jesus may be explained by the attendance of Andrew Forrest. Word is there isn't enough airspace in Parliament House's great hall for the two messiahs to float. It's an OHS thing. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, pretty scathing. Um, I think... Our guest will be less cynical than Joe Aston. Um, wouldn't be hard, obviously. The Tech Council have three people there. They're representing um, the big tech players like Atlassian, Canva and Afterpay. Tom McMahon is the Deputy CEO of the Tech Council of Australia. Tom, are you a bit less cynical than Joe Aston about the Jobs and Skills Summit? Look, yes, I am. But, but as you point out, that wouldn't be that hard. No, I'm, I'm optimistic. I think actually bringing people together, whether that be employer groups, unions or state and territory leaders uh, with the federal government is a good thing in my opinion. You've seen in the lead up actually that there's been a large amount of consensus. We signed a deal with the ACTU on on skills in the lead up to the, to the summit and I think the summit is providing a platform for people to come together and I think that's a positive thing. Tom, I mean, how exciting and lucrative are these opportunities for young people thinking about a tech career in Australia? They're excellent job opportunities. So we know that tech jobs are highly paid. Uh, according to new data from Seek, uh, jobs in tech have the highest average advertised salary of any industry in Australia. Wow. Um, they're growing really quickly. We know that they're stable and we also know that they're very flexible. Okay, that's really interesting to hear that you, you think this is you know, the most well-paid industry in the whole of the country. Most people probably think banking would be. So tell us, what are the most common kind of jobs and career paths in the tech sector? What's really interesting is that there's actually a real diverse set of careers that you can go into in tech. So everyone sort of has, you know, in their mind, a typically a bloke tapping away with a black screen, looks like the matrix, <laughs> you know, writing code. And, and admittedly, that is a significant number of the jobs in the sector. But there's all sorts of other hybrid roles. So we've got roles like product manager, which are people who translate user requirements for those more technical people to turn into software products, designers, user experience designers, 
but also, you know, those jobs like in marketing and corporate roles as well. So there's like a broad variety of jobs, which Australians from all walks of life could get into if they're interested. Tom, the number of tech jobs is sort of growing at twice as uh, fast as the economy and there's likely to be hundreds of thousands of roles and you've mentioned some of the more common jobs on offer there, but there are others that will be unfilled in the coming years. I mean, what are those jobs going to be and why can't we fill them? Yeah, so in particular where we have the highest shortages at the moment is in experienced technical roles. So because the pace of tech sector growth has been much faster than the economy as a whole, our training system just hasn't kept up to supply those skills that we need, which means that you know we don't have the people with five, six, seven years experience working in technical occupations. So in the short term, you know the fix for that has to be our migration system. We need to make sure that that's working well so that we can get those experienced senior technical people into our tech companies, which will allow us to bring more Australians on in kind of junior roles in those firms. I reckon a few Aussies listening go, well, how come we have to bring people from overseas into those senior roles? Why can't we have Australians doing those roles? Because they're obviously going to be better paid. I mean, we would love to, right? Um, We would love to have more Australians. It's just you can't generate a software engineer with seven years experience overnight. So it generally takes three to four years of study at uni to finish a software uh, engineering degree. And then to get seven years experience, like you add those two numbers together, you get something like 10 years. So if we've been undersupplying 10 years ago, that's where we get into that situation now. So we want Australians to have opportunities to work in the industry. We just need to make sure that there are those senior managers and mentors in the companies who have that experience so that we can bring people on in those junior roles. Right. It's not an either or situation, right? It's actually we need both. So that implies that other countries have been way ahead of us on developing those skills? Yeah, absolutely. So you see, you know, countries like the US, uh, India, China, they have placed significantly more emphasis on these kind of courses through university uh, and through their vocational training systems. And that's sort of where we want Australia to get to. Right. So is that the main problem that we just haven't, our education system hasn't caught up with the job opportunities? That's right. And in many cases, that's because there's been a lack of demand for students. We know that School kids in Australia just aren't aware of the opportunities that exist in the tech sector. And that's unsurprising when you think about who they talk to, their parents, school teachers, career counsellors. They're also not aware of this opportunity because it's arisen so quickly. But why have other countries been able to move quicker than we have? What are we doing wrong? What are they doing that we're not to change? You know, if you're talking about demand from students and the opportunities that someone's aware of, say, in their high school years... Why is it different in China to Australia? I think there's a combination of factors. So I think part of it is, you know, for example, taking the US as an example, their tech sector is just much more mature. So if you think about companies like Apple and Microsoft, they were founded in the 1980s, Mm. whereas Australia's biggest success stories in tech were perhaps founded in the last decade. Mm. It's just much more mature. So that means their system has had more time to kind of, so that parents understand the opportunity, encourage their kids to go into careers in tech, we really need to boost the awareness um, of Australian kids about the opportunities that exist in this space because once they learn about them, you know, we're really confident that people will want to work in the industry because the jobs are so good. And Tom, is it because of the way that that education system works overseas and um, the fact that that's where the skill is, that that's the reason that you're looking at visa changes? You want that visa processing to be um, reduced? Yeah, that's right. So currently it takes months and in some cases even more than a year to process visas for highly paid 
high skilled jobs. We're talking jobs that have salaries in excess of $100,000. Whereas competitor countries like Canada, New Zealand, the UK, they're processing visas in weeks and in some cases as little as two weeks. And so that just means that those countries who we're competing with for this talent are winning the race essentially. And what about remote work? Has that changed the way you source talent as well? Like, do you actually need these people to get visas and move to Australia? Or, you know, is a company like Atlassian got senior people working from all over the world? Yeah, I mean, remote work totally is something that is, in particular in the tech sector, really common. But I still think our companies see an advantage to having people working and living in Australia. And certainly there's an advantage for the Australian economy. If um, we can't bring workers into Australia and instead people work remotely, that means they're not spending their high salaries in Australian shops, in Australian cafes and restaurants, and they're not paying taxes in Australia, which would be a shame for us to miss out just because we can't speed up our visa processing. So, Tom, what needs to be done? I mean, what have your colleagues been telling the government at the Job Summit? What we're looking for is a commitment to 10-day processing for highly paid, high-skilled tech jobs. We also want to make sure that for all tech jobs in Australia, that there is a pathway to permanent residency. There are a number of jobs now, highly in demand, highly skilled, highly paid tech jobs, where there's no pathway to permanent residency, which means people can only work in Australia for a short period of time. And we don't think that makes any sense. We want people who've come to live in Australia and want to work here to be able to stay if they want to do so. And is that it? Because the parochial patriotic Aussie in me saying, are you also trying to fix up our system here to generate more Australian workers to step up into these roles? Absolutely. So our other key focuses are around increasing the number of Australians who are working and studying for tech-related careers. So one other proposal that we're taking to the Job Summit is to create a new modern digital apprenticeship. We think that vocational education and training can play a really large role in generating tech talent, and it has a couple of key advantages. It's much faster, right? It's doing a one-year course through TAFE is much faster than a three-year degree. And we know that the pay gap between people who've done vocational training compared to uni is much lower in tech than in other high-paid industries. So we think that's a really important pathway and one that we can do a lot better on. Tom, you talked about this is a sector that working remotely is quite a natural thing to do. And I'm wondering, you know, is there an opportunity here for regional Australia in that case? Yeah, absolutely. And, And we know from, you know, since the start of the pandemic where remote workers increased significantly that more and more people in regional Australia are able to access careers in the tech sector. But we also know that there are people who perhaps had to move to our major cities for careers in tech who are now moving back to the country or people who are looking for a kind of lifestyle change. So we want to make sure that the tech sector is an industry for all Australians, whether they be living in regional Australia, but we also need to do much more to get women to work in the tech sector. Only one in four people working in the tech sector are women, and we want to make sure that this high-paid opportunity is available to women as well as men and people, you know, living throughout Australia. That was Tom McMahon, Deputy CEO of the Tech Council, who are representing um, some of the big tech players at the Jobs and Skills Summit today. What do you take from that, Rihanna? When I hear about these jobs, Tom, I always think, why did my guidance counsellor at school ever tell me where the cool jobs were? <laughs> Not that cool maybe job. I'd be able hey, to do them. <laughs> you need co-hosting the brief. What are you talking about? 
Yeah, true. This is a very cool job. You're absolutely right. I take it back. But I guess it's how do you get uh, young people at school interested in these careers, know what's available to them? How do schools then offer that to students who are interested in these careers? But then I also think it's kind of perfect if you live in regional Australia as tech jobs are traditionally not based in an office and can be done anywhere. So I think there's some really good things that could come out of this if they manage to to fix some of these issues uh, that Tom talked about. Yeah, and that's actually a fairly recent development, the work from home culture. So I agree, if you could be, you know, working in a well-paid tech job, but live in a beautiful, you know, Australian country town, that is a, a good vibe for everyone, particularly those communities as well. And yeah, as you say, getting high school age people excited about tech jobs, I'm, I'm still kind of surprised that we're still catching up there. Like I remember... When I went to uni 20 years ago, um, everyone was saying, you know, the jobs of the future and information technology, which is what we called it at the Mm. time. But still here we are 20 years on saying that's not really that alluring for young people. And we clearly need a real overhaul of our education system. That is it for your Monday to Friday briefing. I hope you've had a great working week. Um, If you want some more great interviews, tomorrow we have the weekend briefing with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who have you got on this week? This weekend I'm chatting with Johnny Ruffo, who is a household name, so I suspect all the listeners know who I mean. He was a Dancing with the Stars winner. He came third on X Factor about a decade ago, and he was part of the cast of Home and Away for a while. But about five years ago now, Johnny started suffering from really severe headaches and was diagnosed with brain cancer. As I think a lot of the briefing fans know, I also live with a recurrent brain tumour. And so this conversation ended up being quite personal for both Johnny and myself. But ultimately, I think you're going to find his fighting spirit incredibly uplifting. Yeah, all right. Really interesting to hear that conversation, um, given your background as well, Jamila. Uh, Thank you so much for that. And a big thank you to the hardworking team here at The Briefing that make this podcast possible. Executive producer Dan Mullins, news producer Eleanor Harrison, Dengate, Brooke Lowther, Sarah Boll and Poppy Manzi on the socials and Matt Kuzkari on the editing. Listener.